listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Our ushers are coming forward. They have extra Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, didn't bring one this morning, raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it home with you. It's our gift for you. We believe in God's Word. It will change your life. It will transform your thinking um, and and encourage you to take the Word of God and and take it seriously in your lives. And and just even as you heard this morning, our small groups are are starting up again here this week. Please encourage you be a part of a small group. It, it's lifeline to have people in our lives, people in our corner, encouragement, studying the word together, praying together, walking with one another in the joys as well as in the, the difficulties of life. And so encourage you to, to be a part of a small group as, as uh, the group life is so important in the life of the disciple of Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 16, we'll look at that, uh, get to that in just a moment. Now, I wonder this morning, what is our first reaction to rules. When someone tells us something that we ought to do or tells us something we should start doing or stop doing, what is our general reaction to it? We don't like it, do we? It's like, you're not the boss of me. Who do you think you are to be able to tell me this kind of thing? And, and students, as you start school in the fall, um, your teacher gives classroom rules. Sometimes the principal gathers everyone together and lays out some of the do's and don'ts for the school and for the classrooms that you're a part of. We, we have rules in our homes, don't we? Parents, do you have rules in your homes? I mean, most of us do. I was asking my kids just yesterday, I said, okay, what are some of our household rules? And, and they're having a hard time kind of coming coming up with one, and then I, I remembered one, and, and, and uh, even from an early age, our daughter Clarice, there was a rule that you are not allowed to date until you are 18 years old, and when she just recently turned 18, I gave her a wonderful gift, an extension to that. It's now 23 that she is not allowed to date, and you know, like, you know, these are just some of these household rules that, that we can have, and, and we can try to enforce the best that we can. Uh, driver's license, in order to get a driver's license, our son Nate has his learner's license, and, 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 and that is interesting. I, I saw this bumper sticker kind of goes with maybe our lives right now. That This might give a little explanation, you know, as far as caution student driver and screaming parent. Uh, that would be more his mother, perhaps. Um, I love it because I can, he can now drive, and uh, I can be the passenger, and I can use my phone all I want, and I won't get a ticket for distracted driving. So it's just wonderful in that way. Um, but in order to get your driver's license, you have a thick book of rules of instructions of what to do and what not to do. And even now as we are driving and as he's a new driver uh, in, in various ways, we keep, at, you know what, like, what do I do in this situation? And I'm like, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know if what I'm doing is correct in that. What does the book have to say? And so having a book, having rules like that is kind of important because you just can't get on the road and just start driving however you want to. You know, I mean, some people do that, you know, and, and it's just not good. We have to follow the rules. And let's face it, sometimes rules don't make a lot of sense. Do they? They don't. Uh, just, you know what, um, sometimes we just think, well, what were they thinking? Or this doesn't apply to me. And, and so sometimes we kind of, our reaction to rule is, hmm, I'll just do my own thing. We've been hearing a lot about distracted driving in the news an awful lot, and, 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 and we don't like it, and we don't think people should be doing it, but for some reason, we think it doesn't apply to me. And, and Nate just told me the other day, he was on a school bus, and he saw a mother from the, uh, from, from the school that was driving along, and she had this bumper sticker. It was very similar to this bumper sticker you'll see up here, and um, says something along the lines, honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. You know, and, and, and then as he sees this bumper sticker on the car, and think, oh, isn't that so-and-so's car, and he saw the mom on her phone while she was driving. So she can even have the bumper sticker, but here she's actually doing what she says that she ought not to be doing, or, you know, is against the law. And, and uh, I'm not going to start singing holy, holy, holy in regards to my life on that. You know, and, and this is something, we have these rules, and, and, and we, we need to pay attention. And sadly, sometimes we treat God's word in a very similar fashion. We hear God's word, we may read it, we read commands and instructions in the word of God, and we kind of think, hmm, not for me. Hmm, is there some way around it? 
And yet we have to understand, people, this, the word of God is the, the very words of God for us. It's instruction. It is teaching for us. And it's not to destroy our lives or to ruin our lives, but to build our lives and to make our lives a blessing and to experience the fullness of joy that we, the most full of fullness of joy that we can experience here on this earth. And, and God gives us rules and commands and teaching for our good. And, and it's, it's out of love for us. And ultimately, it's for our good and for his glory as we follow in obedience and, and we live a life that is obedient to his word. It brings glory to God. They're not given, commands in scripture aren't given to ruin our lives, but to build our lives and to protect us and enable us to live the lives with confidence in Christ. And, and yet so oftentimes we might be tempted to think, well, we can just ignore God's word in this area or that area. Kind of, one of my professors in college called it smorgasbord Christianity. You know, where you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Ooh, I don't like that, so I'm not going to take that. And, and so we kind of pick and choose what we want when it comes to what we obey in regards to God's word. And we might be tempted just to to kind of push it aside and not think it's a very big deal. And yet the Holy Spirit does believe it is a big deal. And will work in our lives and convict and, 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 and desires for us to, to be obedient to all the areas of God's word as, as we have it before us. And, and so the Holy Spirit works in that way. And I trust that even today that, that maybe there will be some rub in your life. And what we have to talk about that that, that rub will lead to a life of, of obedience. And, and searching God in, in this area. And studying scripture. As, as I trust this is just, just the starting point for you um, in this subject. That you would take the encouragement. Even I'll be giving you some, some verses to, to write down. And that you would study it this week. And some passages that we're not going to work all our way through. Take and read it and study and allow God's word to, to continue to instruct you by, your, by um, the spirit of God. And, and that rub may have started last week as we started, as we're in this series called All Together and, 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 and two weeks we're spending on the subject of generosity from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And here at the end, the final chapter in 1 Corinthians 16, we see some, some, just, some very basic but very important, precious, valuable instructions for living our lives with the three most precious resources that we can be entrusted with here on this earth. Our money, our future, our time, our resource time, as well as then our, re, um, our relationships with people. Those are three important resources, gifts that we have been given all in certain degree, in different degree, but we've all been given a certain amount of time. We all have 24 hours in the day. How are we using that and making the decisions of life? Do we just make our own decisions? We're going to get to that, Lord willing, next week when it comes to making plans and, and seeking God's will in our life. But when it comes to the financial resources that we've been trusted, entrusted with, as well as the relationships, how are we to conduct ourselves? And that's why we're digging into this, this passage in this, um, in, in this series to, to, to learn from God's word and to be taught and to, to look at our lives and analyze and see what areas we may be challenged, what areas we need to grow in, or what, what things we may need to stop, or what things we need to start, because it's about being obedient to his word. And folks, because this passage is in God's word, we can't ignore it. We must examine it, and as God speaks to us in these areas of obedience, we must obey his word. And remember again, it's for our good. And so last week we started in this topic of generosity, of our giving. And, and uh, th this just isn't some rule, some command where it's just like, okay, fine then, I'll just give some money. How much do I have to give? You know, it, 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 if I want to, to be a part of, of God's work here on this earth, fine, I'll give some money. No, our giving isn't supposed to be like that. Our giving is to be an expression, a response of the love we have received from God and a gratitude that we have towards God that then we want to liberally share with those around us. And we want to, to give to the mission of God here on this earth and, and to the needs of those around us. And so here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, I'm going to start where we started last week. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now the first thing 
that we looked at last week was first things first, we are all to give. And financial giving is something we are all supposed to be involved in. This is to be a pattern in our lives. And remember, folks, believe me, this is not about raising money. This is not about raising money, but it's about making disciples. This is helping us to be obedient followers of Christ, and we need to have the right relationship when it comes to our financial resources and to the, into what has been entrusted into us. And so here in verses 1 and 2, we see this very direct command, this imperative from Paul, and he says in verse 1, so you are also to do, and then in verse 2, he even says, each of you. Now, you might be a visitor today, maybe you haven't been in church for a while or, or first time or just new in, in, in coming to Harvest, and you're like, oh, great, I come to church today, today's the day I come, I come to Harvest, and they're teaching on money. Oh, great, that's, that's just fixed, you know what, just me for, fit, fit to be tied, even, even right now, perhaps you're sitting here and say, because after all, the church is just out after our money. And if the youth think that today, I first of all need to apologize to you for the terrible examples and the terrible teaching that you perhaps have heard in this regard. And I trust that today our teaching will clear that up and will help you to understand that God doesn't need our money. And we, we, we went into that last week. Encourage you to listen to that message as it balances what we're talking about as well as, as, as it just continues on, as we continue on here today in this. But here, but folks, I'm thankful you're here, and, and especially, maybe you're here and, and you're thinking, you know what, um, I, I've seen these bad examples on TV. I've seen the TV preachers, or I've been in some of these situations, and they say, give me $50, you know what, sow in $50 into the ministry, and, and you can expect $500 in miraculous thing, and they have testimonies, and they have all these different things, and you know, and, and you can expect back 10 times back from God. And, and you've heard these examples, and yet we need to know our money matters. And what we do with our money controls our lives. It does. It controls our lives in a very major way. How we handle our money and our relationship to money controls our lives in a very powerful and sometimes very sad and sometimes in a very exciting way. Jesus told 38 parables recorded in the Bible. 16 of them had to deal with, with finances. One out of 10 verses in the New Testament deals with our money, deals with finances. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 when it comes to the area of faith, and over 2,000 verses when it comes to our finances and how we are to handle them and the relationship we're to have to our resources. And so this is an important topic that, that we look at and, and, and we want to take it straight on and, and encourage you in some teaching here and, and as the Lord calls you and speaks to you in this area to call you into action in, in this and, and to be a gospel giver that we would give um, according to the gospel and according to what God's word has to say. Perhaps you're here and you tend regularly but maybe you don't give. It's not a regular pattern in your life or maybe you're here and you do give regularly, generously but again these truths are important. Again, as, as I've told some people today, man, in studying these truths this week, God's word has impacted my life. And, and there's some areas and the way that I give and the way that we give as a family, um, I, I believe I need to change. I need to grow in some of these areas and grow in areas of obedience, even in areas of sacrifice and trust, but even in, in the procedure, in, in, in how it's done. And uh, because there, there is something powerful that when our giving is a part of our actual worship, and, and uh, we may get to that in a little bit. But this week, as I said, I've been challenged, I've been blessed, I've been stirred as I've been wrestling through these passages. And I trust that, that today uh, you will glean from these truths and, and, and take and, and, and allow these truths to apply to your heart. And, and to see that the church and God, God's not after your money, but it's a matter of our heart. And oftentimes, our money and our hearts are tied so closely together. And so, this is why it's important that we understand this principle when it comes to our resources. And, and, and these principles that we look at are seen throughout the Word of God, and, and especially in the New Testament. And, and here is, is another principle that we see, and it, it's profound, and it's so important for us to understand. Listen to this. Before God tells us what to do, He reminds us who we are. And you see this pattern in the Old Testament and so powerfully in the New Testament. Take, for example, the book of Ephesians. 
The book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about who we are, our identity in Christ, all that he has done for us. And then when you come to the last part, for the last couple of chapters in the book of Ephesians, you see then what we are to do as followers in Christ because of who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. It's because Christ has done this. Here is what we believe about God. Here's what we believe about salvation. Now here's how we behave. This is how we live our lives. The book of Romans, same thing. First 11 chapters are all about just thick, wonderful understanding of God, his love for us, salvation, great doctrinal truths there. And then as you turn the corner into Romans chapter 12, it starts out in view of all of this. Here's how we are to live. And God's word is like that, that, that so oftentimes and, and throughout, throughout his word, when we are given these commands or these imperatives, there's... Uh, or, there's always before that the indicatives that come with that, the declarations of who God is and who we are in Christ. And we have to understand that our giving, there's no way that we can earn or buy back our salvation or do anything to please God. God is no debtor to man. We can't give to him and, and have him then in our debt. He, he, he doesn't operate like that. He doesn't need our resources. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor, to earn our salvation there's no amount of money we could give, no amount of prayers we could pray. It's all as we, we prayed and as we heard on, on Wednesday at our um, church prayer night, sola gratis, by grace alone, that we are given the gift of salvation. Here's a, here's a great quote I saw this week from Jonathan Edwards. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Isn't that good? We contribute nothing, absolutely nothing to our salvation except for the very sin that made it necessary. Because of who God says we are and based on what Christ has accomplished, it changes what we do. Because of who we are and what he's done, it changes how we live and how we function. And so, as we looked at last week, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And, and this was a church in Corinth. I think we have a map of it. Uh, um, you can see it was a church there right in kind of the center of the screen, the little red dot. A, a church that, that Paul planted on his second missionary journey. And now he's writing to them from Ephesus. And, and it's his desire to get to Corinth, but he's not there yet. And, and, uh, and, and he's writing from Ephesus which is a poor area to a very affluent region there in Corinth. And it was a very wealthy, materialistic, hedonistic, sensual city. And it was having a great impact in a negative way upon the church. God had done a great work in establishing a mighty and a powerful church in Corinth. And yet the folks there, the, the believers there, instead of them having a powerful effect on the culture around them, they were being fashioned by the culture and it was coming into the church. And the church there was kind of a hodgepodge for belief and understanding and practices. And so Paul wrote this letter of instruction to clean it up and, and, and to encourage them and instruct them and tell them to start doing some things and stop doing other things. And, and, and so we have this instruction book. And, but again, and all through out the, this book encourage you I mean just even a quick reading of it uh, just, just skimming over First uh, Corinthians and I don't encourage you just to do that but even to just see it in this light all throughout as you go through the book those 16 chapters you constantly see Paul reminding the folks there of who they are and, and, and we saw this last week in, in chapter 1 verse 2 he says you've been sanctified in Christ Jesus and then he calls them saints and, and he reminds them of their new identity in chapter 1 verse 3 he goes on to say that, that, that they have become, um, that they are now righteous. They are sanctified. They have, they, they have been redeemed. He reminds them again of, of the work of Christ in their lives. He, in chapter 2, verse 15, he, he tells them, you have now have the mind of Christ. In chapter 6, verse 20, when he says, flee from sexual immorality, he reminds them, don't do that. No sex outside of marriage. Because, because why? He says, you've been bought with a price. Honor God with your bodies. Honor him in this way. You've been bought with this precious blood. And so on this basis, because of what Christ has done, obey the word that, that we are given. And we are to glorify and honor God with our bodies. 
And so when it comes to chapter 16 here, and and we see some imperatives in, in these verses that we're looking at here today, when it comes to our giving, our generosity, he's coming off of one of the greatest chapters that we have in the Word of God, chapter 15. And you can just take a look at chapter 15, just, just, just turn back one page, or maybe it's right even there on, on the page in your Bible. And remember, chapter divisions were added afterwards. Paul didn't write his letter to, to the church in Corinth. Oh, chapter 15, verse 1, those were added later to be able to help us to be able to reference God's Word and, and to quickly find and, and work and study together by, by having chapters and verses in this way. And so here in chapter 15, Paul is just giving this incredible description and teaching regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what that means for us. But then he goes on to to remind us that we too will one day experience a resurrection. And he explains and and he gives us a little glimpse through his words here of, of the future resurrection that awaits every believer in Christ. And he talks about this mystery, this great victory that is ours, that is coming and the transformation of our, of our lowly bodies and, and how we will be transformed and how we will be changed. And just listen to these verses, the end of, of the chapter, at the end of um, verse 54, he says, death, this is for the believer in Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Period. New chapter. No. Continuation. And what does he continue on with in this new chapter? He gives us this glimpse of the future glory. And he wants to encourage us and remind us of of this. And, And I like what John MacArthur had to say about this. He said, every glimpse of future glory is given to encourage us to a deeper sense of commitment to responsibility here and now. So here he's telling us about what's going on. And what we can expect and what awaits the believer in Christ, this resurrection, that we will not die, that we will be with Jesus face to face. We will see and experience the glories of heaven for eternity. He says this is all coming. He says, so don't give up. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Or don't be immovable. (laughs) Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he goes right into this on the first day of every week, each of you. What's the work of the Lord that he's talking about here? It's the gift of giving, the grace of giving. And this is a grace that we should be accompanying, be a part of our lives. And I trust that this is something that, that we see with new eyes and new reality here as we see God's word here for us this morning. And so what is the next thing that Paul's talking about here? The collection of the saints. These people had approached Paul they wanted to be a part of helping in an offering, even if we go back to that map where, where we see Ephesus, Corinth, but then Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. They were going through an extreme famine, but also there was a lot of poverty going on in the church, a lot of persecution. And so these churches were, were wanting to send money um, to help the Christians there, to encourage the believer. And so Paul was encouraging and calling them to collect an offering for that. And so here... We see this instruction on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so last week we saw first things first, we are all to give. And then second of all, and and what we're looking at here today, we are to give regularly. You see this in verse two. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. We are to give regularly because regularly we need to be reminded that all we have is from God. And we can be so quick to start believing the press about our success and we start thinking we're something or look at the money I've made, look at the money I've earned, when instead we have to see that all things are from God. Our life, our breath, the ability to make money to be able to work, the bodies to be able to work. All of this is a gift from God and daily and and regularly we need to be reminded of this truth. And we can get so distracted and consumed by other pulls and pressures in this world as well as our own pride. 
You see, in those days, workers would get paid at the end of each day. And um, they would work so many hours, and at the end of the day, they would be paid. Unlike today, in most cases, although Nate this summer, our son was working at a, at a cherry stand and, and selling cherries uh, to a lot of tourists, and uh, quite enjoyed all the different dialects, and then he even started learning some words in Chinese and really impressed the Chinese tourists that were there as uh, he learned the word cherries and, and a few other things to, to let them uh, think for a moment that he knew their language, but he didn't. But at the end of the day, he would get paid cash, and he would come home and, and, and the, there would be a number of 20s there and he would just be like, look at this, look at this. And, and, uh, and, and, and it was kind of exciting for him to, to, to have that, you know, like most of us, we don't quite get it in that same way. We, we get paid maybe once a month or every two weeks or some of you at the end of the job or, you know, at, at different periods. We get paid sporadically where here they were paid um, and it was usually at the end of the day. And so Paul is telling them to give regularly. This is the principle here. You say, well, do I have to give every Sunday then? Do I have to give? And what he's doing is at the end of the day, make sure you take some money, set it aside, put it, put it, put it in storage or put it in a place. So then when you come together on the first day of the week, when we come to worship, when we come to, to worship the Lord together as a church, bring it and present it, give it as an offering to the Lord. And so the principle here, you say, so do I have to give every Sunday? I don't think we need to take it quite that far. The thing we need to take far is that we need to give regularly. And we, because regularly we need to be reminded of God's love and his generosity towards us. And this is where even for me, um, my giving happens online. My giving, giving happens uh, um, through Fellowship One and it's a software thing. I, I've gone online and as we have encouraged people to do. And, and, and this is one of the areas where, where God is just kind of even showing me, hey, you know what, there's something about bringing your offering to the Lord's house, bringing it to the people of God and, and being a part of it in that way because regularly I need to be reminded because otherwise it can be just come, it can just be like paying another bill, you know, and just like, okay, I just go on my payees or whatever it is if you have internet banking and, and, and so easily we, we just make it another financial transaction when it's not. This is, this is a, a reminder. This is a declaration of worship. This is a reminder to us that everything is from God and so God, and now I want to give to you a portion of how you have blessed me. And, and, uh, and, and, and these are areas that, that we need to figure out individually. I can't tell you what to do in this matter, except that we are to give regularly. And so here for them, it was on the first day of the week. And this is the principle that we are to give regularly, not sporadically, not, not, not when we kind of feel like it or when there's extra money that is kind of, you know what, kicking around at the end of the month. We are to give our first and our best, our first fruits. This is, again, another principle we see throughout the word of God. Give your first and your best to God, not the leftovers, not just whenever, you know, kind of the spirit moves kind of thing in, in, in one way or another or the guilt factor. Thing, oh, I guess I should give, you know. Uh, no, I, this, is, this is an important thing to give regularly. Some people wait till the end of the quarter or sometimes the end of the year and, and give it that time. And, and, um, and, and that, that's good and, 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 and it's good to be faithful in that area. But I may even encourage um, folks who do that to give regularly throughout the course of the year. And then at the end, if there's still some extra that you're wanting to do, go ahead and do that. And, 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 and because I believe this is part of our worship and one of the ways that we worship the Lord because we give regularly because regularly we need to be reminded that everything is from God and it reminds us of our dependency upon him. Giving should be out of part of kind of the flow of our lives, just, just one of the things that we do, just in the same way we go to church, we worship the Lord, we bring our offerings to him on a regular basis. Um, next we see we should give thoughtfully in verses three and four. Uh, in, in other words, give thoughtfully, have a plan in place. Um, as I said before, you know, well, just as the spirit moves or what? No, have a plan in place. Got to think about this. Got to talk about this as, as, as a couple or as a family about how we are to give. He says in verse 3, And when I arrive, I will send those who, whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it, is, if it seems advisable that I should go, also they will accompany me. Now, Paul wanted to avoid any kind of emotional appeal. At the end of verse 2, if you look at it, he even says, there should be no collection when I come. He doesn't want to take a special offering when he comes. He knew that he had influence. He knew that, that, that he could easily make an emotional pull and, you know, and a call for funds 
and, you know, work the crowd and kind of lay the pressure on and the guilt of what's going on in Jerusalem and, and lay this all down on the folks. And said, he's like, no, I want you to be disciplined. May this be planned and something regular. And, and, and their giving was to be part of their worship as a form of worship and dependency and faith as they would give to God. And we've all seen those situations. We've been in those services or, or at a concert or different things. And we see the images on the screen. We hear the stories. And, 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 and there's a strong emotional appeal to, to start giving, to perhaps sponsor a child or to give to some need in some areas. Those aren't, those aren't particularly wrong. But, but our giving needs to be more than just emotionally based giving. It's, it's about worship and about uh, coming up with a regular plan in this way. It's about Giving and, f- giving and funding the ongoing work of God. And a lot of times that isn't very emotional. It isn't very exciting to be able to buy some microphones or, or, or uh, some new uh, speaker stands or, you know, s- some other equipment or drumsticks or toilet paper for our church offices or photocopy. I mean, that's not really all that exciting to get behind and give towards that kind of thing. I mean, we want to give where we know our money's making a difference, Right. Yeah, your money does make a difference here as, as we work and as we serve the Lord together and as, as we give in the big areas as well as in the little areas. And, and, um, and so have a plan in place. And, uh, you know, just even as, as, you know, one of those emotional kind of, you know, needs that arrives, we, we need to be ready and available to help with that. Harvest Houston, we had something in our e-news this past week. And if you haven't read it, please read it. Please be reading your e-news that comes in, the, in, in your inbox um, each Friday. There's a lot of good information, some great pictures of, of, of Nina and Andre from our church helping at Harvest Houston this past week, helping in, in the cleanup and, and, and repair. I mean, it's just disastrous. Um, just what is going on in the cleanup effort and everything that is taking place there. And, uh, and, and we've given you some opportunities and even take that opportunity to give. Um, you can give the money here and, and market Harvest Houston and we will send it along and do that in the next week or so because we would love to get some money in their hands in that way. Those kind of appeals are good. But those are kind of the above and beyond. Those are little extra ways that we are able to come alongside and help. And so have a plan in place. Give thoughtfully. Here's something else too. We should give to accountable ministries. Be careful where your money is going. In verse 3, Paul says, put together a team. He's telling him, put together a team of credible people that you trust to take the offering to Jerusalem. He says, and if you want, I can accompany you. I can can help take that offering to Jerusalem. But make sure you choose some credible people who are going to carry that offering. And this speaks towards financial accountability. That money is being handled right in the eyes of man as well as in the eyes of God. And sadly, again, you hear of abuse in these areas. No one person should be controlling the funds of a church or an organization. I mean, Paul, he had many enemies. He had many people who would have loved to have, have, have find fault in how he was handling people's money. And so even here, he's like, he's not carrying this offering alone. He's going to be taking it along with others. And that's why he's giving this instruction. Money should never be entrusted just to one person in its handling or in its distribution. And our elders, um, uh, and, and I so greatly appreciate this, one of the things with Harvest Oakville, our sending church, is that Shayon and I are, ha- are to have nothing to do with money. And, um, and there's a trusted group of tellers that, that, that look after this and, and they, they work and they serve in this area in groups of at least two people and, and um, do the, the tellering work and the uplifting or the up uploading to, to, to Oakville where their finance department then looks after things and, and just so thankful for this work and thankful that I don't have to touch any of that, that, that no accusation could come, that I'm taking offering money or, or anything along those lines. And, and, uh, and, and so we need to give thoughtfully um, to credible organizations and ministries. That, that's very important. So then, um, then we come to, well, Melvin, you still haven't told us how much. You, what's the bottom line here? What's the bottom? How much am I supposed to give? Well, our next point, give money, give percentage. Um, the answer is yes. Give. Um, and all Paul says here in this passage is that we are to give proportional. He said, set aside a proportional amount as God has prospered, as God has entrusted you. Other translation says, 
give in keeping with your income. Well, how much should I give then? Is there a percentage? I, uh, I love this when Charlotte and I just shortly after we got married in, and we were living in Saskatoon and I was a youth pastor. She was working for a trucking company and she got into a, uh, she had to go on a, on a field run. She had to go out in the field and go for a uh, truck drive from Saskatoon to North Battleford with Big Earl. And Big Earl was a big Earl. He was a big, like just stereotypical trucker dude, you know, and, and uh, she gets in this big semi, and the first thing he says, I hear you're married to a preacher. Is it true that if you, if you go to church, you have to give 20% of your income? And she said, no, 30. And you should have seen, no, she, she didn't actually. Uh, anyways, and, and she was able to have a conversation with him. So oftentimes we think, well, there's a certain amount that we should give. Here, all Paul says is we are to give as God has prospered as he's entrusted us. And yet, folks, this is something we need to do prayerfully, liberally, sacrificially, um, and, and allow God um, to, to guide us in this truth. But now, I encourage you, we're going to finish up our message here today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and, and 2 Corinthians 9, because here we see the kind of continuation, if you want to say it, because what happened here is Paul gives us instruction, and they didn't do anything about it. He gives the instruction and no offering. They were still holding on to it. And so it was about a year later, he's writing 2 Corinthians. And he's like, what's up? Come on. You have the desire. You want to do it, but you're not doing it. Come on, let's go. So instead of just four verses, he gives them two chapters of instruction here in the area of giving. Encourage you to read it. There, I mean, here we see one of the longest sections when it comes to, um, to giving. And, and don't worry, we're not going to go through it line by line these next two verses. We'll be out here in a good time here today. But Paul wrote this letter um, to encourage them and, and, and tell them, come on, get with it. And so oftentimes there are many, many of you perhaps even, we have the desire to give, but you know, we're kind of waiting. We're kind of waiting until I get that job. We're kind of waiting. We're kind of, you know, and, 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 and in the same way, you know, well, they're kind of waiting. Well, Paul, we thought you were kind of waiting. It's like, no, get on it. Let's go. Let's give. Come on, get moving people. And he uses the churches in Macedonia. Clarice, if you can just put one of those maps back up again, you'll see that um, up at the top area there, you'll see the area of Macedonia is up to the north of those regions. You see areas like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, all of these churches, very poor areas compared to rich Corinth, affluent Corinth, they were all giving money to support the work there. And Paul was even saying, and even the Corinthian church is giving. <laughs> And then to find out they weren't. And he's like, come on, get with it. These, pe these people were giving and, and you folks haven't gotten with it yet. So come on, let's get moving. And so here we see some further instructions on, on the amount we are to give, on how we are to give. In, in chapter 8, verse, verse 2, we are to give with joy, even in poverty. L listen to what he says. For even a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He's talking about these poor churches, and even though they hardly have anything, they're in extreme poverty. They're giving with joy and generosity to the Lord's work. To help other believers. They didn't let hard times or tough times keep them from giving. And then here again, we, we get a statement. We, we are to give according to and beyond our means. Look at verses 2 to, to 4. Or actually, um, verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They don't have much, and yet they're coming and they're begging to give. He's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll let you give. Yeah, fine, even though you guys don't, they want to give. We are to give according to and beyond our means. Years ago in a church that I served, we were going into a major building project that, that thoroughly tested um, our, our young church 
in so many ways in, in um, the area of giving and trusting God and faith and, and uh, the expansion of his work. And, and uh, we had exhausted all these portables and different things. And finally, we're like, we have to bite the bullet and go into a major building project. And, and so we are calling our people to pray and to seek the Lord and also um, to be excited about this and to be praying for people that would be reached for the sake of the gospel in our community and that our church would have a great influence within the community and, and even around the world and in the work that God was calling us to be a part of. And, and uh, we're calling them to, to give sacrificially over and above what they were regular giving, that all of us were, were in agreement that we were going to give towards this. And so we are having people take a period of time and pray and discuss and, and kind of examine uh, what they were to give in offering, a one-time offering over and above, and then in three-year commitments over and above our regular giving. And this would be sacrificial. This would be um, by faith that we were, were doing this. And, and one day, there was a widow that showed up in my office and her husband had passed away a number of years earlier. She pulled up in this beat up old um, Dodge, one of those original Dodge minivan caravan kind of thing. I mean, the thing was rusted out and on its last legs and she pulled up. You could always tell when she pulled up because you could hear the thing and she drove like crazy. Like she was a driver, I'm telling you, and uh, still probably is, has a very lead foot and war breaks out amazingly well there. She pulled up to the church, got out, walked in my office, slapped down a brown envelope and she said, this is for the building fund. And I said, well, I, again, there, I, I said, I, I'll pass this on um, to others. And she said, the Lord has, got, has led me in this. She said, this is my life savings. They had been involved in ministry throughout their years. They didn't have a pension plan or anything like that. When her husband passed away, they were even had some, some personal debt that she needed to work through. And, and, and from my understanding, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was everything she had. She gave beyond her means. And would you know, I tried talking her out of it. And then she looked me in the face. She said, I was reading in the word of God in Luke chapter 21 of the widow who gave her all and it wasn't much, but she gave it all. I'm sure the Lord took care of that widow and I know he's going to take care of me. And she put her hand on that. She said, it's the Lord's. What else could we do? She gave according to and beyond her means. But here we see also as we continue on, and I'll give the part two to that story in a moment. But here we see this kind of giving that as we give with joy, as we give beyond our mean, means, that is how we are to give. We are to give in, in such a way. And we are also to give as Christ as our motivation. Giving for the believer, for the Christian, for the follower of Christ. He's our motivation. In verse 5 he says, he says, first of all, we give ourselves to the Lord. And then we give ourselves to the grace of giving. First give yourself to the Lord. If you're not a Christian today, if you're someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're off the hook. You don't need to give. God doesn't want your money. God's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your eternity. He's interested in your life. He's interested in dealing with the hurts, with the sin. He's, he's interested in you. He loves you. Couldn't care less about your money. Remember, he doesn't need our money. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. And that's one of the dangerous things that when we give, we kind of think then we get in God's good books and, 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 and he then owes us. He doesn't. And for the believer, our giving is out of love. And if we have received this love, this much love from our God, we want to give love. We want to give everything. Look at in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, one day, one day we will all who are believers in Christ will see the glories of heaven. We will see the glories of heaven that he left in order to come to poverty here on this earth. He wasn't born in a castle. with a nice little moat around it and soldiers to protect him. He was, he was placed in a manger. 
He was born in a poor house. Mary and Joseph weren't rich. He left the riches of heaven. He left relationship with God the Father to come to this earth. He became poor. Not just physically poor, just not monetary-wise poor, but also spiritually. He gave it all up. He emptied himself. He took the sin of this world. He took your sin upon himself so we wouldn't have to, have, we wouldn't have to pay for our sins. He took it all. He's the motivation. He's the example. And when we understand and experience this kind of love, then we are compelled to give with gratitude beyond our means even, to give sacrificially with joy, with thanksgiving beyond our means. So we give with Christ as our motivation, remembering all that he has done. And then another here is we then give proportionally. Again, here he addresses this in verses 6 and 7. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So I know some of you, again, you're looking for the bottom line. What does Meldon have to say about this? Where are we at? How much should I give? What percentage? What should I be doing? My question to you is not the percentage, it is how much do you want to be blessed? And I don't want to sound like one of those prosperity preachers who says, give this money and you will receive that. That's not it. But here's what we're saying. When, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, if we sow generously to God, we will receive back generously from him. Not under compulsion, not reluctantly. God loves, I won't get to that yet. And so oftentimes 10% is a standard, though, that we hear about and, and a standard that, that for centuries the church has, has kind of uh, held on to and, 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 and kind of like a, a, a benchmark, um, you know, like oh, I give 10%, I tithe 10%, and, 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 and that is a good thing. However, there's a danger in that, that it becomes a check mark. It just kind, kind of becomes something that we just do, and, and we don't do it sacrificially. We don't do it with joy. There's not generosity. In the Old Testament, the tithe was part of the Old Testament. It was part of, of a tax that they were, was a mandatory tax for God's people. On top of that, there were other taxes and, 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 and gifts and offerings, and, and, and some have worked it out that it would probably equal 25%, up to 25% of their income would be given to the Lord's work, including that 10% of kind of that mandatory tax. And we must remember, we're not under law, but we're under God's grace Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law. And, and so we don't, we're not law-based givers, we're grace givers. And so instead of a mandatory law, we give freely to God. And for some folks, as they're starting out, that percentage may be lower. It's what you decide in your heart, generous, motivated by the love of Christ, everything we've been talking about here this morning. And yeah, 10% can be a marker. It's been a marker and, and kind of um, an area that many people have followed, including our own lives. But in so many ways, that, that's a starting point that as God grows you in this area, it goes beyond that. Then there's tougher seasons. And, and, and yet we continue to give faithfully and generously, even in those times. But there's a great danger, and, and, and I don't want people to, to think, well, I have to give 10%, that it's a legalistic percentage don't want you to think, fine, God gets 10%, but I get 90%. That 90%, no, it's all God's. We're to honor him with the 90% too. We're to honor him with the, you know, 80% or whatever it is, or the 95%, whatever it is, we, we give faithfully. And you can be guaranteed that when it came to the Macedonian church and New Testament giving, is that their grace giving was beyond that 10% tithe, more than likely for most of the people, given over the period of their lives. It was a generosity that flowed out from their lives. And that is what God is most interested in. And as we grow in this grace of giving, God will grow us in this area. Some of you have maybe been kind of like, well, this is what I do. Maybe God is stirring you to go beyond that and to trust him in new areas of faith and obedience and generosity. Again, it's not the percentage. It's the heart. It's the sacrifice. It's something we seek the Lord in, in a very serious matter. And then finally, here, we also see we are to give hilariously, cheerfully. He goes on to say, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, 
If you take your kid or you take your grandkid or maybe your spouse out for a meal and you maybe stop in quickly for some of those, uh, you're not taking them out to a fancy meal, but you stop in like, oh, let's get some, you know, stop in quick at McDonald's, I'll buy you some French fries. And kids always love French fries as well as adults oftentimes. And you think, oh, I'm not going to order any kid, you can have the French fries. But then we think in the back of our mind, but I can steal a few of those. I can, you know, have a few. And so you sit down and you start eating their French fries and they look really good and they smell really good and you lean over to take it and, and, and all like, no, that's mine. And, and the kid slaps your hand. And think that, 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 that's, that's my French fry. Get your own French fries. And any of you ever experienced that? Yeah? Yeah? Take, take your kid out and, uh, and you probably will. And, and you start to think, hold it. Who bought you those French fries? I bought you those French fries. And if I wanted to, I could buy you a whole truckload. I could stuff you so full of French fries. If I wanted to stuff you full of... I could easily do that. And yet so oftentimes we're like that with God, aren't we, when it comes to our financial resource. Mine, mine. He, d- he doesn't want, I mean, you take those french fries from the kid that's whining or crying over you taking their french fries, you're not even going to enjoy those friends. Fine, here, take them back. I mean, you're not going to enjoy them. And the same thing when it comes to God. We want to give cheerfully. We, I would love, this would be so cool. And I've heard this in some churches when, when, when Sheon would say next week, set you up for this, and he says, hey, it's time to receive the offering, that there would be a, yeah, yes, finally, I was wondering when we were going to get to that part of the service, yes, of course, put something in, you know, like, don't be a fake, faker, you know, in, in that way, but, um, you know, that, that, that we, are, it's a part of our worship, it's a part of our joy, knowing that God will supply and surpass our needs, he will. When we give, God will supply, he will surpass. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. An old pastor, Stephen Olford, said, giving is God's supreme method of enriching our lives. You see, God steps into our lives in so many ways with great blessings when we honor him in this way. That widow I was telling you about, her beat up old vehicle, it was shortly after that. There was a ministry within the city of Edmonton. We lived outside of Edmonton that found out about um, just this widow in need of uh, upgrading a vehicle and somebody donated a very nice car to this ministry and this ministry donated this very nice car to this dear widow and she drove beautiful car for many years and God has been faithful and she though not wealthy financially is one of the richest ladies that I know because of the blessing of people and friends and church family and people who God has entrusted into her life and God God takes care of us the response that when we are givers is that we are blessed back. Here, these church people would be thankful. They would be worshiping and praising God because of this. Other people would come to know the Lord because they would see this generosity. And and these people would now be praying for this church in Corinth. And that is one of the best blessings that we can have, to know that brothers and sisters are praying for us. And our response when we are given gospel-motivated givers is that of thanksgiving and worship. One day... We will give an account. We will give an account for all of the money that is rolled through our hands. And I trust that we would be faithful in today that you've learned and you've been instructed and, and taught in this. And, and you would examine where you're at. Examine God's word in this area. And I pray that we would be a generous people, a generous church, experiencing God's blessing uh, for decades to come. Let's pray together.